welcome back. Um, we're talking about the Japan 2002, commemorating the 20 years, over 20 years of Japan 2002, where Japan Korea were the first Asian nations to host the World Cup. And of course, doing the talking with me was a journalist that was present there and that was reporting Nigeria. And I'm talking about Bode Ogmutui. Welcome back. You were going to mention, before we went on that short break, you're going to mention that there was a link after Nigeria lost out and when Korea won the game and perhaps advanced. We're going to talk about that much later. I want to focus on the Eagles now. Prior to the opening game or prior to the competition, I somewhat felt, I'll be honest with you, despite what you said regarding the team not being fully picked, which in hindsight, I'll agree with you. Prior to that, we played some friendly games and they were all in England or within the British Isle. The first one was against Paraguay. I remember very well, I was in church of my church midweek service. I opened the church service. The service starts at 7 p.m. UK time. So I hope my pastor is not hearing now. <laughs> I opened the <laughs> midweek service and I looked at the time. As soon as the service started and everything was okay, I just carried my bag and I was coming from off. <laughs> took off. West London, took the train and got to, it was played at Queen's Park Stadium, Loftus Road against mm-hmm. Paraguay, where we played, I think it was 1-1 one, one we played was a draw. Mm-hmm. Then after that, we played against Scotland. We defeated them 2-1. Mm-hmm. After that, we played against Republic of Ireland with Roy Keane and their squad. We defeated them 2-1 in Lansdowne Road in their stadium. Then finally, we played against Jamaica. That was a carnival on its own. I won't even go to that. We defeated them 1-0. So as far as preparation was concerned, it seems somewhat that we, well, saved the previous fracas and the disgruntled situation that had happened at Mali, the fallout of Mali 2002. I felt like we somewhat had a very good preparation going into our opening game. So when you got to Japan, now looking at the team, we're playing Argentina uh, right well. By then, they were already becoming a, that was the second time we met them at the World mm-hmm. coming some somewhat irregular customer. Prior to that game, I heard Paonik Bide, God bless his soul, I respect him because I will never forget what he did at AFCON 1984 when it was written up. So he still has some place in my heart. But I read somewhere, I think it was on the BBC website, where he said that they asked him a question that what does he know about his opponent? And he said something. He said, I don't focus about other teams. I just focus on how we're going to play and everything going into the opening game. So what were your own feelers before the opening game? Don't forget, Senegal had won their opening game on the yep, f- yep. Sunday was my birthday, I remember very well. What was the feelers that you were picking from the camp? Now, you've got to understand that some of the players in camp at that time, they had friends and colleagues who had been left out in the World Cup tree. And um, yes, they got those results in friendly games. But you know, sometimes this deep hurt, it doesn't show up until when the chips are down. And I also have a story that shows that that hurt showed up deep at the World Cup and it, may, it might have affected the team. That's on one side. On the flip side, I remember we had, a, we had a private conversation when I told you that one of my biggest challenges with Nigerian coaches is the way they respond to teams after the break, after any break, or in the second leg. Mm. I don't know if you remember that conversation. Yeah. And that game against Argentina was where that feeling started coming, where, where that, that, that feeling started from. Mm. If I remember correctly, that game against Argentina, they had one nil or two nil. I think it was one nil. One nil. One nil. A header on the far post. Yes. That is true. With a cross from Veron. Yeah. 
before Batista scored that goal, Verona played that same pass, that same cross, almost eight times that it didn't work. He kept playing it, he kept playing it, and nobody on the coaching crew saw to instruct any player to stop him because that was the only way they are going to breach the Nigerian defence. Now, also remember something. Mm. When Onigbide made that statement, Onigbide is like an earlier version of Jose Mourinho. I know a lot of people will hear this and they will yell and shout in, the, in their seats. Onigbide's teams are also built from defence. Go and check all only with teams. Only with this first principle is you will not score against me. So when he made that statement, I felt one or two things must have been going on in his mind. One, it was trying to be clever by half because you cannot prepare to defend against a team you don't know anything about. Only with this studies all his opponents seriously before going out against them. And so the first thing only with plans, go and look at all the teams is how to stop you from scoring. That's the first thing Onigbide does. Every other thing evolves from that. I felt that maybe if Onigbide had an Ulisse in his team, because we had speedy wingers. Mm. When you are defending, a pass out of defense could have caused a disturbance for the opponent. That was one. So I felt that Onigbide must have been trying to be clever by half. However, it was his non-reaction mm. to the continuous Veron pass to the far post that they never, that they never dealt with all through that game until... One found his target and rested in our net because let's be let's be honest. The goalkeeper on the day, what's his name now? Um, Kesho Romu. Uh, he did an absolutely marvelous job until finally one of those crosses got through, found by Batista's head, and they scored. So for me, it was a mystery of many things. The Eagles hadn't built to attack and they didn't take care of the threat that was emerging mm. from the Veron and Batista connection. Mm-hmm. So, but until that game started. We are hopeful because we have seen only really because successes in previous outings, you know. So for them to now come to that game, and honestly, for a long time, a lot of Nigerians have been satisfied with a draw against Argentina, mm. given their place in world soccer and given the team that was partially ragtagged that, that took that World Cup. Mm-hmm. But that defeat was more painful because it could have been prevented if the coaching crew had paid attention. Mm. I also felt, in hindsight, and like I said, there's a story connected to that. The leaders on the pitch that day, of which terrible rest of one of them would have spotted that threat. But because of the fissure in the camp, because of the fissure in the camp, they are not communicating. Because if they are communicating and playing as a team, they will be able to communicate and stop of that threat. In fact, let me put the story in now for you to understand what I've been saying. Remember that when we went to the World Cup with um, four alternate players, one of them was someone man that played for West Brom Albion and, um, and, and the insurance. Or then we get was some of the alternate players. I spoke with them at Anita Airport on their way out, going back to uh, via England. I spoke with some of the players. The only person that was calm in addressing me and spoke like his football, anything happened was uh, headmaster with you, Adepoju. Now, some of the reasons we are still friends till today. Adepoju, who know yes about him, he gives you what you want, he doesn't have any issues with anybody or more. When I put the mic in front of Tanibo West's face, it's him, my ears full. Because he went, oh, you see, this that's what you say. When they, they suspended better players and they put you with junk players. He, was on, he said it on tape. I played it back on 90 minutes. Who are the young players? The Yobos of this world. The young players that were drafted, drafted to the team. At that point, Taribo didn't see himself as a Nigerian. As much as, as I respect Taribo West, that interview stuck in my mind. It's 20 years. But I'll never forget it. When I played it back for my partners back in Lagos, at the Jamaican Bar and let the Jitinubu, the gasp of horror. Hey, he said that. And when we, when we put it on, for a long time, if you hear junk players, it was from my interview at Narita. I saw that interview. Funny enough, I'm glad that I'm speaking to you. I didn't know where the quote from. I will tell you where I even like where. It was from my interview. I think it was on BBC website. Because for us that live in England at the time, before the advent of social media or before we even started watching Nigerian content on 
UK platforms, our only outlet for news was on BBC. BBC. Mm. So that was when I, I heard the Taribos rant for the first time. So that that I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that the source really... Ah. So you went to said with betting with junk players to the World Cup. Yeah. Anywho. Meanwhile, I spoke with them. We said, oh, you know what? It's happy to be here. They might not play that it was a huge experience. We didn't know that it was going to, going to become this huge star that it became later. And that was why sometimes when people question when it was election that time, I tell them, look, no matter what you say about this man, he's laid the foundation for the future super goals. Because the Yobos of this world, the uh, the keeper that the, the man that, that came on goal, Iyamba keeper, Yama. This was where they became part of the super groups and they became leaders of later years. This was from this experience at Japan that they were fortunate to have because somebody was brave enough to risk it and knowing that look, let's start building for the future. So when, after that, I was like, my oh my, this is big. So that showed me the kind of uh, division that was in the super groups. Prior to that point, we didn't know. When he said that, and I looked at what the other senior players were saying about the younger players, I was thinking, wow, so it was, it's this bad. Now, in the present day super groups, I mean, I don't know whether, whether it's still there. It's now a division between home-based players and foreign-based players. <laughs> but the thing is that, look, until we promote a culture, where whoever is coaching the national team will recognize that the super groups of Nigeria, once you pull on that shirt, it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you are from Aqua, Bomb, uh, Aqua United or from Juventus or Barcelona, once you pull on that shirt, you become equals. And we force coaches, we demand that they make sure that there's no division. Because you can't make a team when they see themselves as, as individuals. A team means that they are working, working together, they are working in sync. So that interview showed me there was something fundamentally wrong with the team. And with hindsight, help me uh, explain to me, help understand what went on in that game against Argentina when the connection between Veron and Batistuta. Nobody spotted it except those of us who are watching at home and who are screaming because we all saw it. Up to today, it's still a topic of beer parlor discussions. That's how come nobody picked up because that cross kept coming, kept coming until finally one found the target and, and the ball ended up in the net. So talking about that now, then of course we played the game against Sweden. Now, I mm-hmm. felt we actually had a huge chance there, personally. That was a game we could have won. We scored first. And talking about Yobo, Yobo and Ifain Udeze were Udeze. one of the few young players who were part of the older generation that were selected with the older generation. So when you were talking about the supposedly young players, maybe I'm... No, but, no, but, but also remember that Yobo was a young player with that older generation. Yeah, it wasn't a part of a clique because talk to any, any Spygoose players from that, they will tell you that there's always been a clique in the Spygoose. So Yobo was part of the younger generation that the older ones were probably looking down on. So when Yobo said young players, I was like, hello. Yobo, you mean? At Taribu, so I was thinking, so which players were the young players? I think I also mentioned something about partnering with. So I, I took that took that to mean in defense. That's why that's why you both came to my mind. Yeah, you both busy. These are the partners well, in defense now. Well, he didn't even partner. Well, he didn't partner Yobo because Yobo was actually playing on the right side. It was I know. It was partnering Isaac Okoronko in the middle. Listen, yes, but Okoronko was a home base player. Just go to Europe. But the whole defense line, they weren't the. We are, we are, yeah, so when he said partnering, hey, defense works as a team because you, sometimes you switch on players, you know. So that's why I said, if they had been communication, what happened? We wouldn't have seen it. Meanwhile, you mentioned Sweden. That was why later on, when Senegal had gone against Sweden in the second round, I wanted to see that game. And that was where my second story comes in. Now, 
Degus had gone home, all of us were in our hotel in Osaka, waiting to see the next game that they would play there. And they said, ah. So I, I called the, the late Ben Alaya, who was my roommate then. I was sharing a room with Ben, ben Alaya and Ben Efe. Ah, ben Alaya, Ben, I want to go and see this game at Oitao. Remember, we were in Osaka. Meanwhile, in between, with my 25,000 yen ticket, I'd gone to Tokyo and back. Now, one trip to Tokyo, one way trip to Tokyo is 13,500 yen that time. One way trip. I'd gone to Tokyo, I'd come back. Now, if I hadn't bought that, my pass, yeah. Aha, uh-huh, I would ask. Meanwhile, and I kept going around the city. I just hop on the bus, show them the pass, and that's it. Show them the pass, show them my passport, and you, you could get on. So I said, ah, I want to go to Oitao. I said, ah. Talo train. I said, ah, what do you mean Talo? Who has money for train? That I have this pass. I said, I said, what is this? Ah, what is this guy? I just packed my bag that morning. I said, I'm going to Oita. Oita from Osaka is not direct. I have to take a train, stop somewhere, and join another train to get to Oita. Mm. And the trip from Osaka to Oita was about 12,000, 14,000 yen. But I had my pass. So I just got up. Boy, I, I don't have any extra money, but I have my pass. <laughs> you know, so... That's why I said the formation is important and the, what the Japanese did was really commendable. So I just got on the train and off I went to go and watch Sweden against Senegal at Oita because the Japanese government had made provision for two-week passes for anybody who wanted to move around Japan freely to enjoy the culture and probably travel with their teams. That's the importance of reading that literature at the embassy, which apparently a lot of my colleagues did not read because they were trapped where they were because they had no money for transport. But I had because I had bought my pass. Very interesting. So England versus Nigeria, which was more like a novelty game, as it were. Yeah. And I think that was when Paonik Mede eventually gave Vincent Nyama the chance. And from then mm-hmm. onwards, it went on to keep for Nigeria for close to about 14 years, thereabout, consistently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, by the time we lost to Sweden... It was over. It was over. So... What was the mood like for you and probably some of your media colleagues going into the England game? First off, we were excited to play England. And uh, for a lot of us, it was, uh, how do I put it? Sweet, sour feeling when the team list came out. Because we wanted to say, okay, you know what? Let's even make a statement and beat England before we go. You know, but by that time, Senegal had won a game. They had qualified. They were on the verge of qualifying for the, for the second round. And we had lost two games. So we like, look, in our previous World Cups, we had won games, right? We won two games in 94. We beat Bulgaria again in 98. So yeah, it's 2002. Let's at least beat somebody. I know that we had come to the World Cup. So we wanted a win. So when the team list came out, I was like, ah, why is this man experimenting? But what the man was doing was, look, if you have come to the World Cup, you have to play. Go out and enjoy yourselves. It turns out to be one of the best games to play at the World Cup. There's no pressure on the, on the boys. They were going home. And I was actually surprised. Although a lot of the credits had to go to visit Enyama. It was fabulous that day. But I also remember that, just like now, a lot of Nigerians were exposed to the English game, the Premiership. So we knew all the players. We were like, ah, this boy's against all these big, big stars. But it turned out to be one of the best games we played. And we're like, ah, maybe we should have played this thing from the beginning, no. But it was not going to happen. But the mood was that, hey, let's go out on a high. Let's beat England and be able to boast that we won something. So that World Cup, the first World Cup we went that we not win again. It was the first. Because given what had happened in the previous World Cup, so it was like, we didn't know that what was going to come in 2006. Yeah, we didn't qualify at all. <laughs> However, <laughs> that World Cup was like, ah, you know what? Ah. And that's also, I think, up to today. A lot of people still when you talk about uh, Chifonik Midi, if Babawe Carlos will walk up, we will not win game. But that's the mindset of people who are who are always expectant, people who have been spoiled because of our previous experiences. You know, with hindsight, again, you look at what we did at that World Cup, given what had transpired, and I think the Eagles did the best that they could. Mm. 
So now talking about the World Cup, I'm going to now go back to Senegal. And of course, in addition to Senegal, there was Tunisia and there was South Africa, the other African representatives. And Cameroon, by the way. Cameroon went into that competition as defending champions in the AFCON. So much was expected of Cameroon with their singlet jerseys at the time. Which FIFA promptly, promptly banned for life. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever tried to do <laughs> Yeah, so Senegal sort of kept the African flag flying. You said from then on you got a bit interested in Senegal and of course they played yeah. against Sweden. So what was your impression about Senegal? And I'm still going to come to you finally yourself in Japan. Now, here's the thing. First off, I think the biggest disappointment for a lot of people at that World Cup was Cameroon. Remember they won the Olympic gold two years previous. I felt like they would build on that and make the most noise at the Nations Cup but it didn't happen. They not only won Olympic gold in 2000, they won the Nations Cup also in Lagos. So people felt like, hey, look, this is the team to beat. And, and the won, that was, and they won the 2002 Mali Afcon Exactly. So it was like, okay, you know what? I think that was what led to their singlet attire. Okay, let us stand out. Let, let people see who we are. And that didn't work out well for them. I think I lost up in Cameroon early because of the kind of football they play. But now back to Senegal. All the drama that happened on the pitch, we all saw. It was the party after an oita that the world did not see. Listen, after the game in Oita that day. I wish I wasn't the only Nigerian at that place. First off, when Cameroonians were going home, I attempted to speak with them at the airport and I got on a bus with some Cameroonian fans who had come to cheer their team and they were bitter, you know. One of them said, we came to World Cup with all these old men, you know, and that's why we saw the nonsense that we saw. They were also disappointed with their team. But the Senegalese, after that defeat of Sweden in Oita, they came out to party outside the stadium and the Japanese government let them party. That was where I got my Japanese connection, where they asked me what I was doing. The first time I was Senegal, I said, I'm Nigerian. Oh, you're Nigerian? What are you doing here? I explained to them what I was doing and they became interested in my story. They asked to see my visuals. And by that time, I'd done a lot of stories. I'd done stories on the homeless in Japan. I'd done stories on the technology in Japan. For a lot of people who didn't know, at that time, in 2002, the phones that you know now, that you do video calls and you are booking flights and booking trains. I saw it in Japan in 2002. It was nowhere else in the world. That's when Japanese told me that, look, here, my Japanese friends, that any technology we develop, we use it for five years before we push it out to Europe. That's why I saw them making video calls. I was like, which magic is this? Because I remember asking people directions and they just go on their phone. I say, oh, the next thing is go to this platform from their phones. That's why I first saw it. 20 when I years to ago. Book, uh, 20 years ago. I remember when I was staying in my hotel in Osaka to get on the train to Oita, I was going to reception. When is the next plane train? Where do I go? It was from his phone. Pull out his phone, showed me, but it was in Japan, and he drew it on paper for me. I said, I have those papers. The piece of paper, I give me who? Go to this place. The train leaves at this time. This is what you're looking for. He pulled it up from his phone. That's where I first saw it. So it was more for me about the culture outside the stadium. For the Senegalese, after the game, because they had a lot of fans present at the stadium, they came out and partied. It was summer in Japan, so it was hot. So they came in colorful African attires, the boo-boos, the agbadas, as we call them here, the muscolos, the flaming pots, and they partied, partied, partied outside the stadium. It was incredible to see. So given what you saw at Korea, Japan, 2002, if... There was um, another bid made by country within that axis. And I'm talking about, let's say, the Chinas of this world, the Singapore of this world, Japan, of course, Korea. Of course, it beats. You mentioned China now. Funny enough, remember that the Basketball World Cup took place in China, the last one. Yeah. I know we are talking about this soccer, but let me just digress a bit for you to understand. The way FIBA ran it, you need to have certain things before they could accredit you. Once FIBA has given you accreditation, they send your name to the Chinese embassy in Lagos or wherever you are at. They sent the names of only four of us. Was it four or three to get visas? Out of the four of us, only two of us got visas to go to China. 
but I couldn't go, I couldn't get the funding to make that trip. But somebody did. And when he came back from that trip, <laughs> listen, I wish I could get him for you to tell you his experiences in China for that fever worker. What I'm talking about now, plus some extra that the Chinese did to make it easy for journalists and for fans to travel from, because we didn't know how far it was. Because he said that to go from where the Tigers played their second group game and the final one that he played simultaneously to go, to go from, I took like five hours of bus or train ride. Talk about the experience on the train and on the bus back, the media center, the media hospitality. Look, anytime anything is happening in Asia, just sign me up. Just sign me up. Because for those who are going to Qatar, I'm thinking of all the stories that, that is coming out of the guidelines that the Qatari government is cleaning out for journalists and for fans. Oh, don't smoke. Oh, don't drink. Oh, don't go beyond these places. All this will diminish from the World Cup experience. I know that most of these laws, when push comes to shove, when the fans start arriving, they like to relax some of them because the fans that travel to see World Cup matches, they're always going to have a good time and they will have their good time. In Korea, Japan, for instance, I saw fans sleeping at the airport, sleeping at the train stations as they tried to conserve money to go from city to city to follow their teams. And the Japanese had people around them always waiting to give them whatever they need should they need anything. I'm hoping, and was, this was 20 years ago, so I'm hoping that when they get to Qatar and people had to save money and make some other arrangements to ensure that they're able to stretch whatever they have to cover their stay. I believe they, they probably get the same experience, but I'm saying that when it comes to hosting the World Cup, whether it's basketball or football, from the two that I've heard and I've seen between Korea, Japan, and China, I think most media people tell you that Asia is the place to go. Hmm. Asia is the place to go. So what are the lessons that we can glean from Korea, Japan, that you believe we as Nigerian or Africa by extension can learn from? First off, since Korea, Japan, I think Nigeria had hosted at least two World Cups, although in age grade category. And I feel that, first off, when you are hosting the world, understand that it's not, it's not about you. It's about you, but up to a certain point. It's always about it's giving the fans and the media coming to work, giving them an experience that will make their life easy yeah. and make their job seamless. I covered Nigeria 99. I was briefly at Abuja when we hosted the other 17 World Cup. And I was also at Koja. All African Games. All African Games. And in as much as we argue that, oh, they are developed and they have this and they have that, there are things you can do that can make their experiences better. One of the best things about Koja was having delegates. And now I'm talking about the positive from Nigeria, and something that we could leverage and I probably learn from and probably repeat if possible, was having delegates and media have the accreditation tags given to them at the airport as they're arriving. That was brilliant. Because what it meant was that once you get into the city, Already you have everything you need to start doing your work without being harassed or without being molested. Because, hey, I know as a people, as Nigerians, we are naturally friendly. When we see, when we see friendliness, we want to help. Although I don't know now that things have been a bit... Uh, <laughs> you might not want to show that we're a foreigner because you never know what to come out of it. But given our natural tendencies, apart from the criminal elements, we always want to help foreigners. So what that Koja thing did was that it helped people. I mean, no matter what you say about Koja, they got that one right. Kudos to them for thinking. And I think that's one thing we should do. We should try and understand that when you are given the responsibility of hosting the world, we want them to come away with a good impression of your country. We want them to come back again as tourists to spend their money, not to go there thinking, never again, I'm, not, I'm never coming back here because of what they experienced. That's what Japan did for me. Japan made me want to go back to Asia. We should learn that. Secondly, from the administrative perspective, they say that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the different results. Is, is the purest definition of madness. Given what you have experienced with qualification and participation in all these World Cups, isn't it time that you put a process in place, a four-year and eight-year plan, 
Now, to see us want to get go beyond what we had seen. But every time we throw money at the problem, oh, win this game and get $40,000. Win this game and earn $5,000 each. While that may motivate, it's not put in your veins the things you need to surmount a well-drilled opponent. Mm. We should set up processes that will give us results in eight years. Mm. And as a media, I think we should start educating our people that we don't have to win now. Mm. Once it's clear that you have set up a process that will give us something that we can relate to in four years, in eight years. Mm. So let us conquer it because I think what the Japanese did in 2002, mm. as much as their culture has developed, their infrastructure has developed, some of the things they did at that time, they were developed over a period of time for the purpose of forcing that World Cup. I think we should start thinking long term and stop thinking short term. Thank you very much, Badeokutri, for sharing your experience of Korea-Japan 2002, where we sort of commemorate a throwback of that particular competition. There you have it, and I trust and I believe you enjoyed every bit of what you've heard on this podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please, all you just need to do is just leave your comments, let us know what you feel, what we are doing right, what you want us to do. Even if you want to tell us we are not doing something right, let us know. We want to keep getting better. Thanks for coming on the show, and... um, Hopefully, we get to talk very soon. Speak more during the walk-up. During the walk-up. I hope so, too. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. Take care of yourself.
episodes in time past and if you haven't please go onto our podcast directory sports africana you can check us out on apple on deezer on amazon on spotify on all the major podcast platforms and you can get us and listen to all our previous episodes i'm sure you know we try to talk about our stories from an african perspective we try to celebrate our successes we try to talk about our problems. We've got plenty of them. We try to see how we can get better. Bottom line, it's all about African sport. Of course, majorly we talk about football and every now and then we talk about the other sports. Today is going to be a throwback to Korea, Japan 2002. It's over 20 years since the World Cup was hosted. And I think that was about the first time it was hosted in Asia. And of course, shortly it's going to be hosted in Qatar, the first Middle East country to host the World Cup. And Korea, Japan happened to be the first country from Southeast of Asia to host the World Cup. And again, we're going to be looking at that World Cup mainly from an African perspective as we commemorate the World Cup of 2002, Korea, Japan, which was a landmark World Cup. And who best could do the talking, uh, if not someone who was present in Japan when the World Cup was hosted? And it's a well-known, well-respected Nigerian journalist, media person, broadcaster, and is well-known for his knowledge in basketball. Uh, but trust me, he's an all-rounder. But basketball is where a lot of people get to know him for, or where he made his mark, and he still does that a great deal. It brings me a pleasure to introduce to you my big brother, Bode Ogunturi. Um, I don't know where to say it. Why would you be jealous? I, I'm sure your, your, your lovely wife, your, your lovely wife, your lovely wife, wife takes good care of you. I can sit in your, I mean, on your face. Before yeah, then, that's not <laughs> before then, wasn't was I not being taken care of? Well. We, we will call family mission and, and, and get to see whether that statement is true or should we take with a bit of salt. I'm, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll be very happy to hear that. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to to have you. Yeah. I've been quite a while and a lot has been happening on the Nigerian sports scene, the election, the basketball saga. But um, today we'll just leave the order out and take a throwback to Korea, Japan 2002, the World yeah. Cup. The first time it was hosted in Asia and uh, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. And yeah. we're going to look at Nigeria, first and foremost, the qualification en route to the World Cup. That was going to be our third attempt, well, qualifying. That was our third time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Previously, we had qualified for several World Cup qualifiers. We went for the first time in 1994, mm-hmm. which was kind of a mixed success yeah real stories that we had in the camp but going into korea japan 2002 there seems to be like a transition from nigerian football things started somewhat declining so what was your impression after 
1998 World Cup going into 2002 World Cup. Obviously, there was the African Cup of Nations in 2000 before then. So, yeah. you were a major stakeholder, being that you were very close to what was happening back home. What was your impression of the Nigerian Super Eagles post-1998 going into that? Um, first off, uh, uh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be part of these conversations because, uh, you know, uh, first off, we are from we are, both of us have our roots in a, in a nation where history is not taught in schools anymore. And so, uh, when you see the, uh, the generation coming, whether fans or media people, you want to put these stories out as much as possible for them to understand where we are coming from, why we say the things we say now, and then to, for us to to get a clear view, a clear picture of where we are going or where we should be heading. The same thing goes goes for for our policymakers. Uh, sometimes you, you get this idea that they don't have a sense of history or they don't care to know what had gone wrong and what they, what they need to do to, to ensure that these things don't happen again, uh, to form a po- policies that will ensure that those coming behind, whether as participants in the sports or as um, reporters as we are or as observers, they, they, they get uh, the full benefits of what good sports does for a nation beyond just the financial aspects and the feel-good factors there's many other things that are connected to it, both economically and socially, that we don't seem to appreciate. When we throw all these policies and all these behaviors at different levels at the fans, and, and so it, these stories are important. So it, it's, it's good what you're doing. Now, uh, you mentioned that um, uh, there are always stories connected with the spy groups. Even in 1994, that we, uh, all of us cheered as being a successful uh, debut World Cup it could have been much, much better. You and I know that. But the Nigerian factor, excuse me, the Nigerian factor crept in. The game that Nigeria lost to Italy, we should never have lost that game. And if we had won that game, we would have had Bulgaria in the, at some point. So it, 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 the Bulls could have gone much far and set a record that other African teams would be dreaming of, of, of meeting. But here we are, again, I think World Cup. I'm sure you, you heard some of the stories. I think it was Pelé. That saw uh, some super good players partying before an important before an important game, and he told them, "You guys had no idea what you are doing. You are about to you are, you are on the verge of making history. You could you can make history, but here you are before a big game. Who, who does that? We had stories of our players were arriving for for uh, for training in different flashy cars, you know, instead of coming with the team boss. But that was France '98. Then going on to 2002. Of course, all of us knew what happened in the qualifiers when the coach had qualified. Funny enough, the, the road to 2002 was probably one of the best World Cup, World Cup qualifiers we, that we had, if I remember correctly. That the Eagles were winning games away from home after the arrogance of uh, post-96 almost cost us uh, our qualifiers in 98. Remember that after we won the Olympics, we became, hey, we are the best in the world and no team could stand us. That was one of the things that led to our downfall in 98, remember? That we had a game. First, we qualified by the skill of our team. Remember that we, that was a paper goal that against Bulgaria yeah. that handed us the ticket to play against Denmark. And then we started talking about who is Denmark. We are waiting for Brazil. So that arrogance of '98 that led to all that talk, you know, me, that led to the downfall against let, Denmark. Let me show you. A, uh, well, it's not a joke, but it really happened. Prior to, I know we are talking about um, Japan, Korea. Prior to that game against Denmark. I was watching um, a FIFA documentary program called Football Mundial, and mm. uh, the focus was um, on Michael Laudrup, the, the Danish okay. legend. And they, they asked him a question. Obviously, the focus was on him. In the course of that interview, they asked him about you know France '98, where well they were credited to have performed very well. And he mentioned something I will never forget. He said 
prior to the game against Nigeria that they were somewhat written off. He said he was even shocked. He said they saw, you know, players, they know themselves. So he said he saw your coach and they were exchanging pleasantries. And he was like, oh, how are you doing and everything? And JJ said, oh, I'm fine. That his wife just gave birth. And Michael said, oh, your wife gave birth and you're you're here playing. He said, yes. Is that because of this game that he wants to just play this game? And after this game, go back, then come back in time to play against Brazil. (laughs) Oh, he had already... Michael Adrop said... In his mind. He said he was shocked that, oh... This guy already believed that they're going to walk over us. Of course, myself and you know what the result ended. <laughs> then, then he had more time to see his wife. <laughs> Look, it doesn't just um, uh, Okocha. Even back home then in Nigeria, the word on the streets was that, Look, let's just show up against Denmark, beat them, and then face Brazil. In fact, I was a staff of Complete Communications then, and our headline was, You know, they're going to play that game in Toulouse. Yeah. And either was Eagles were too good to lose. <laughs> that was the headline. That was the headline in a, in a major publication back then. So, uh, Korea Japan 2008 was like, okay, we had mellowed because we had been, we had been humble in 98. So, we focused well on the qualifiers for 2002. And the Eagles, Eagles did very, very well to qualify for that, for that World Cup. If I remember correctly, that, that, was when, that was when we won a tough away game in Sudan, at Tom Doman. That won that tough away game. I that why he scored two goals in, the, in, that, in, in, the, in that away game. The tide had changed. We had learned some lessons. But then, of course, it turned out that we didn't learn enough of those lessons. Because after we had qualified, we changed tone again. We started talking about looking for a world-class coach. Talking about the qualification for the 2000, I think that was the one that Bofredro, um resigned. We lost a game against Liberia, if I remembered. We, mm. we lost a crucial game and there was a panic mode before Amod Shaibu took over, if I remember. Yep, yep. And then Amod Shaibu took over and then turned things around. And then they got to go to the World Cup. And then we, we, also, we, we believe that, oh, you know what? Amoni Shabu is not good enough again to handle the team and stuff like that. But beyond that, I think that there are a lot of lessons to learn from that work. I've, I've read a lot of our colleagues and some fans saying that the tactics deployed by Chifonik Bindi wasn't all that. And then I, I remember that I, did, I, I had an interview with Taribo West at Narita Airport on their way out of the country after they had failed to qualify from their group. Right, before we go into that, let's backtrack a bit. Okay. So, before the um, World Cup proper, we had played AFCON 2002 in Mali. Oh, I remember very well. Yeah. I was in Nigeria then, during the... In fact, I think I got to Nigeria a day before the opening game, like when we mm. played against Algeria. I remember mm-hmm. myself and my dad, we were going to Benin to see my junior brother because I, I arrived on Sunday. Then on Monday, we went to Benin to see my brother and we arrived, um, some, we went somewhere else in time for the first game. I remember very well. So I was in Nigeria then because that's where things sort of started degenerating. Yes. So what was your general overview of that AFCON? Now, the way that AFCON was handled, like you said, that was where things started degenerating. One of the things that, that stood out in my mind, and this was where Sunday Olise, for, for those who are younger than we are and who, who, are, who are not privy to these stories, that was where the reservations about Sunday Olise, this is where it started from, especially with the Nigerian press. Now, I, I, I can't remember whether it was a friendly game before the AFCON or whether they were on the way to the Af- AFCON itself, but I remember the Eagles made one, one very, very difficult journey. With, uh, with hindsight, we might want to excuse Sunday Olise's behavior. But also with the same hindsight, you look at where he was coming from. At, at that point, he had played professional football in Europe for a while. There, there were certain things expected 
from a player who had been exposed to that culture, where decorum boats to his teammates, officials and to the press, where they are concerned. You can be upset and you can express your grievances in certain ways without appearing rude, you know. Because at that point, what had happened had happened. Like I said, the Eagles had just gone through a difficult journey and they were fatigued and they arrived at a point. And somebody from NTA wanted to interview him as the captain and he just waved the person away who was being recorded. Just waved the person away and said, look, don't disturb me. Just, I'm not in the mood to talk right now. Now, here's the thing. You are the captain of the team. The press, they are not your enemies. They had seen what you had gone through. They want to hear your story. Even if it's two, three minutes, say in a few words what you are going through and what you expect and express your grievance. He did not. He put his frustration on the reporter. Now, what happened that, and from, from that point, it snowballed because it was aired by NTA. People saw the other side of what they shouldn't see. And from that point, every, everything just fell apart. The Spy Gustav got to Mali. I, I suspected that because it was the events from that place that, that spiraled, that snowballed into the NFF announcing that some players were banned and then some abandoned the team. And that led to what we, the team we saw at the World Cup, which was of far less capacity. It was a young team. And I say this without any, any disrespect to the players, the boys that went to that World Cup. They did their best. But we had players in probably other departments that maybe could have, would have done a better job than what this Greenhouse, because for a lot of them, it was their first time at a, at a senior World Cup. For a lot of them, it was the first time at a major tournament. We just threw them in at, at the deep end. And so they gave their best, but it wasn't enough. Now, understand something about I always say that when we go to the World Cup thinking we are going to win it, we sometimes do a disservice to those nations that had planned, that had worked, mapped out strategies, and knew what they are going to do at every point. To nations that had no chaos in their playing ranks, no chaos in their coaching ranks, no chaos in their logistic ranks, and no chaos in their administrative ranks. They are calm, they are planned, they are, they are ready. And we arrive there with chaos in one or two places and we want to win it. It doesn't happen that way. Everything is a long-term plan and we don't plan enough. Hey, if Nigeria goes and wins the World Cup with Akios, I'll be happy. But I'm just saying that I don't think it should be fair for those nations who have done so much to get to that point. They just get and just win and then you think it, do, it does happen that way. So when we arrive at, at that World Cup, the way we, the way we arrived, I, I don't believe we should go to the World Cup thinking we can win it. Let's go there to learn some lessons and prepare well for the next one. But the unfortunate thing, like I said at, at the start, is that because we don't learn from our past mistakes, we go to, the, to almost every World Cup with the same chaotic background dogging us and we want to win it. And then we start castigating the, the team and the coaches. We, are, we ask them to do the impossible. You know, like we saw with, uh, with the story you shared about Okocha, the players even start believing the hype that they are all that. And so, some, when arrogance creeps in, you are setting your team up to fail. We've got to be able to tell them the truth at every point. That look, there are some things you are not doing right. Do this in But sometimes when you say this truth, they say, oh, you are not patriotic. You don't like Nigeria. You want us to fail. But here we are. So, that 2002 team was already set up to fail even before they got to, to Japan. Now, before we got to the team proper, now talking about Japan, uh, 2002, 2002 yeah. you obviously you were representing a, a media outlet at the time. What was your impression on getting to Japan? You know, what was your current of the atmosphere, the feel when you got to Japan? That well, first World Cup in Asia, as you arrived, what was your impression? What was the whole thing? What was the razzmatazz, the hype? What was the mood like in Japan when you arrived? My impression started from before I left Lagos. 
Unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues didn't see what I saw. I'll tell you a story to buttress what, what I just said. First off, the Japanese embassy made it easy for everybody, all right? Whether you are accredited or not, you work for, for a recognized media house, you want to go to the World Cup because they, they, they understand that there are so many stories around the World Cup about what's happening on the, on the field of play. That's what a lot of people don't understand. When, when you attend the World Cup, and I'm saying this now for the, for the benefit of younger colleagues who might want to, might think of covering the Olympics or the World, World Cup later. When I went to that tournament, I did not have accreditation. But the stories I did outside the stadium not only caught the attention of Nigerians, caught the attention of the, of the Japanese media because they saw me walking, wanted to know what I was doing. When they saw my footage, that's like, wow, this is different. And they had me on their set to talk. And they, they now did a documentary on myself to talk about my coverage of the World Cup. But I digress. When I got to, uh, to the embassy, the first thing I noticed was that on the table at the, in the waiting area, there was a lot of literature on what to expect when you get to Tokyo for the media or for whoever it is that came in to understand. And I like, was waiting for the visa section to do their job. I just picked up the literature and started reading. And there, I saw a pamphlet that says that for two weeks in Japan, if you pay 25,000 yen, which was about $250 that time, if you pay 25,000 yen, you can go anywhere in Japan with any form of transport. Once you purchase that pass, show it, get on a bus, local bus, get on a Shinkansen as a bullet train, and you can go anywhere for two weeks, flat out. Now, I'll tell you the importance of that later, of that information later. So, I just found that information in my head. Okay, 25,000 yen, $250, my two weeks of logistics is covered, right? Because, of course, they are to trend anyway. So, from that point, you knew that, okay, if you do ABC, you, get, you can get to D easily. Then I arrived in Narita. And the first thing that caught my attention was that Omo, for the first time I saw organization at its best. As you come out of the luggage area on the plane, of course, if you're, if you're a foreigner, they'll know instantly. They know the nationals and they know that it was World Cup season. They had English speakers everywhere. Hosts and hostesses who speak English. So they ask you, do you need anything? If you need anything, there's information center, go there, whatever I want to do. If I go to any hotel, check here, we'll tell you how to get there. Hotels that had buses waiting, hotels that you had to take a cab, they had all this information ready for you as you arrived. Funny thing, when I got there, because I had a long layover in South Africa, in Johannesburg, and my flight was Lagos, Johannesburg, Johannesburg, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Narita. I had my laptop bag, I had my carry-on bag, and I had, then I had one extra bag. So now that, that extra bag that I had, had my Bible, my left my left was from the plane. I was collecting food because I didn't know what was going to happen. So I collected a lot of things to eat when I get to the hotel in case there was no food. I forgot the bag as I was talking to the... So when I first got in, I was speaking to... As I was talking to one of the hostesses, the bag felt heavy, so I, I put it down. Now, remember, I had other bags, so I put it down. Then when she said, when she pointed me towards the information center, I just left my bag and I, I went. And then I got on the bus to the hotel. It was the following morning, I, was, I just said, wait a minute, I had an extra bag. Because that bag had my Bible in it, and I wanted to study the Bible. And I, so I said, oh. So the following morning, I got on the bus, went back to the airport. because was a free bus. Went back to the airport, asked for my bag. You know, when I asked, where did you forget the bag? I said, by that pillar. I just on the computer, said, oh. Your bag had Bible, this is, I said, yes. I said, okay, go to this room, pick it up. All within three minutes. Wow. I was stunned. Coming from Lagos, I was stunned that you forgot the bag at the airport and they found it. So that organization was out of this world. They had people ready to help. They had people willing to help. They had, the, the, the information thing was on point, on point. So my first impression was that they were ready for the World Cup. They were waiting for it. And from what I saw on the streets after, they were waiting to actually celebrate. Not, of course, the success of the Japanese team uh, which they with the nickname the Blue Samurai so it was celebrated. But they had other things going on that showed that this was World Cup season and they're going to enjoy it no matter what happened. That's, I mean, for me, that's a, a very good experience because from what I know, every team, have a, they have a camp base. Oh, yeah. I know England, for example, they were living in a place called the Awaji Island. 
that's where England were. Nigeria were based in, I think, is it Saitama? I'm not too sure. I can't remember. Osaka. Osaka, yeah. Niger- Niger- Osaka. Osaka. So what was the access like to, obviously, your focus was Nigeria. What was your, your yep. access like to the team that you primarily went there for? Now, here is the thing. Apart from the language translators that they have, that they had everywhere, they also had one, one media person and one language person attached to everything. So because Nigeria is primarily an English-speaking country, they had a media person and they had a, a language guide that was working with the team. So it, it was simple. You get to the hotel, you tell them what you need. They speak to one of the aides who speaks to the super goose media officer. You get the access, access you need. It was seamless. It was easy. It was direct. And no matter what was happening with the team, they ensured that the team was always available for you to speak with. Then there are, there are some rumors, a funny story. You know, some journalists that were heavily sponsored, right? They went the route of, the first one to Korea, they from Korea, they came to Japan, and then when the goose lost out, some of them went back to Korea, some stayed in Japan, and they stayed to the finals because of, like I said, they were heavily sponsored. And then they came and said, oh, if you are at the World Cup and you are accredited, oh, the Korean government, at that time, Kia was just becoming popular, and they, oh, they, they said they would promote their culture, I want to give you a brand new car to take home. Uh, we thought it was true. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't it wasn't oh wow so now that's talking about access now mm-hmm. we're not going to go back into before we talk about super egos obviously you would have one eye at the other african teams that are playing so senegal played the opening game against France, who were they? France, and, and they won. And they won. Now, at the t- I think that was the last time a defending champion defends, opens, no, no, opens, yeah, yep. that's the last yep. time. Now, when you heard, or when you heard about that result, what was the feelers from a Nigerian perspective, knowing that Nigeria was going to be playing some few days later? It was massive. Uh, because uh, remember that at that time, I think France went to the World Cup with the highest scorer in France and England in the attack. The expectations of France was very, very high. And because, you know, remember that we knew Senegal from 2000 when they played against us at the National Stadium. We knew they had the Kailu Fadigas, you know, those boys that are speedy and tricky and dangerous. But we didn't think that they had enough in their tank to defeat France. So for them to hold France goalless, scoreless, and they not get a goal and go on to win the game was just insane. It was crazy. And of course, um, it fueled the arrogance of Nigeria. We knew that our team wasn't all that. And we knew that because the, our team that faced this same Senegalese in the, in the semi-final, the semi-finals or the quarterfinals of the uh, Nations Cup in Lagos in 2000. It, that team had been decimated by suspensions and, and abandonment. It was the same thing. It was the same team. That's another reason why a lot of us felt bad given the events that transpired before. Because you look at that Senegalese team and how far they went, what they almost accomplished. And you felt like, you know what? Maybe if, if we had a hold and given uh, how close Nigeria took came to getting results in some, in some games. Because the game against Argentina and England are so tight. You keep telling yourself that maybe they had a bit of quality, maybe they would have eked out something. You keep having that that regret at the back of your mind. So when Senegal won that team, you know it was like won that game it was like ah, we wish we had a, a full team present here. Maybe we, we were able to. But what that did for me was that it put my focus on Senegal. That no matter what happened to the Super Eagles, let me see how far this team will go. And then there's a story that connected see this Senegalese team and the story I told you about the travel arrangements that I saw in Lagos. There's a story there. We'll come to that story. Come to that. We'll come to that story shortly. We'll just go on a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. 